Dr. Sherry Walling, clinical psychologist, founder, and CEO, consultant, and coach. Thanks so much for joining me on the show today. My pleasure. I know I'm like a hard ticket for you to get. So, you know, thanks for working with my scheduling team. Yeah, this this was great. I had to talk to three of your assistants, use your Savvy Cal link, do all the things. So it's great to have you here in, in the Squadcast room and just be able to chat it up. Been a long time since we talked. Yeah, like a good 10 minutes or so. That's right. But it has been a long time since you've been on Startups with the rest of us. It's been a long time. I was starting to get my feelings hurt. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Rejected. I, I need to set a calendar reminder is what I should do and bring you on the show every every so often because I think you're such a, you've become such a staple in the broader startup space at this point, but especially, you know, in the, in the microconf bootstrapper space, people, you, I, I think you were, if I recall, the first one to get on a microconf stage and not talk about marketing and growth and to talk about feelings and, and burnout and how to stay sane while starting up. The human side of the startup. Yep, that's right. And so I want to run through a few things today with you. I mean, there's so much we could cover. And actually, I want to have you back on because you are in the process of publishing a book through a publisher. And that will be out in a matter of months, if not a six or 12 Yeah, months. let's try about a year. Yeah, okay. So that's how <laughs> publishers I mean, work. Right? April-ish. Okay. So I'd love to have you back on to just you know, go deep on that, both the publisher process, because we self-published your first book, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Shit Together. Our first book. That's what I said. You got some other blame. Oh, oh, okay. I heard your, I just want to, I want to rope you in. Yeah, totally. I'm the with, it says Dr. Sherry Walling with Rob Walling. I'm like, (laughs) I'm on the side there. I contributed some content, but yeah, so self-published that. And now you're going through a publisher, which I think is, is super interesting. And that book is about grief and and your journey of the past past several years actually you lost your dad to cancer lost your brother to suicide you've you know obviously been public about this on your own podcast and and other interviews so i'd love to spend as we get to the point of the book i'd love to have you back on and dive deep into that but i i have heard you say something that that's intriguing to me and what you told me it was kind of an off the cuff comment but you said something about grief is part of entrepreneurship that so much of what we do as founders and entrepreneurs involves grief in one form or another. And I think the context you and I may have been, I don't remember if we were talking about like firing an employee or co-founder breakup or selling a company. Or all of those things. Exactly. Plus some, like you work with so many founders and you see them go through, they go through hard things as well as have amazing, you know, I think victories and you see all of that. So talk to me a little bit about what you meant when you said, you know, grief is just, it's such an important part of entrepreneurship. And frankly, it sounds like we, if we're going to be an entrepreneur, we need to learn to deal with and handle and healthily process grief. Yeah. So if we think about grief as the emotional reaction to loss, so often we talk about it in the context of death. And of course, there's a, a big grief process that goes along with the loss of life. But there's all of these other little griefs, all of these other moments of having an emotional reaction to something that's lost. And I think it's such a particularly important conversation among entrepreneurship because, number one, we're taking lots of risks. We're trying lots of things. You know, we're often operating just at the edge of our capacity. So we're learning to hire. We're trying new features. We're exploring and experimenting. And a lot of those things aren't going to work. And we talk about that in context of failure, which is 
good. That's an appropriate term for that. But I think there's also like a, a little emotional reaction every time we hope for something that doesn't work out or we build something that we then lose. So there's lots of little griefs and you, and you named some, an employee that we're excited about that doesn't take the position or leaves, you know, a set of customers that we want to work with that we aren't able to reach or they no longer favor our, our offering. And I think one of the really surprising and really big griefs that goes along with entrepreneurship is when a company sells. And I work a lot with entrepreneurs who are in transition. And so I'm helping people go through the process of deciding to sell, how to sell, how to go through that process sort of from the inside, from their own mental health process. And there is so much grief that goes along with that, even if it's a great payday, right? Even if it's the thing that they worked for and they wanted, it's still this major shift and there are lots of losses. And so a big part of, I think, going through a healthy kind of a life cycle of an entrepreneur is having a lot of moments of grief hopefully this big grief at the end when you have a big exit. I think most of us aren't good naturally at dealing with loss and at dealing with grief. How can a founder get better at that? You know, I think it's important to to pause. And if nothing else, I think grief is an invitation to pause, to notice this thing that's lost, to give it a little bit of emotional attention, maybe to name it out loud, maybe to memorialize it in some way. So you think of an employee who's leaving, just the the time to take and get a thoughtful gift, the time to say thank you, the time to say, hey, I'm really going to miss you around here. Those are small things, but they are grief processes, right? They're an acknowledgement of the emotional reaction and they're ways that we extend appreciation and sort of honor the role that that person played in our life. How about going through an exit? What have you seen some founders do really well? And maybe how have you seen some founders not handle it as well? I think when it doesn't go well, it's because there's so, I mean, you know this, we both know this, there's so many logistical processes that go along with an exit, the paperwork, the negotiation, just the conversations with the lawyers, all of those things I think can eclipse the emotional part of like, oh my gosh, like I've been working on this company for three, five, 37 years, and now it's not going to be part of me anymore. And so when there's no space or time to think about that, I think is when people kind of get into some trouble. They don't recognize this real metamorphosis that they're going through. And so they they do the paperwork, they go through the logistics, they turn in their keys, they sort of, you know, not coming back to work on Monday, but don't really honor this huge change that's going on in their lives. And so those are the folks who come into my office three, six, nine months later who are like, I'm lost. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what my direction is in my life. I had this big exit. I thought I had everything I wanted. And lo and behold, I'm really miserable. But the healthy alternative or a healthier alternative is to be very mindful and intentional about the external goodbyes that you're saying, right? All of the ways that you are leaving other humans, that you are disengaging or detaching from a brand or a business that you've built to outlast you, to have a life after you. And so things like, you know, I know where you sit in your office behind you is a picture of the Drip logo and it's framed. It looks very lovely. I think it was given to you by um, the staff at Drip. And 
it sits there in your office as a reminder of this is a thing that I built. This is part of me. It's a piece of me. And I've let it go. It's, I have a new relationship. My relationship with this company now is one of memory, is one of reflection. It's not my active business anymore. But that sense of memorializing and being able to say, I fondly remember this, but I'm no longer so intimately tied to it as I was before is, you know, a little snippet of what healthy grieving looks like. Yeah, that's really insightful. I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, in a lot of videos, um, in the video snippets, folks will see of this podcast on on social media. You'll see the logo behind me with the original Drippy, the robot, his head. And he was, um, after we sold it, he was subsequently, what do you call it? Discontinued and replaced. But Sad. <laughs> Drippy. Bye-bye, Drippy. I still have the shirt with Drippy on it. But you're right. I look fondly at that at that logo now and uh, it's a good reminder. It's symbolic. Yeah, and I think symbols are really important, right? I mean, this is this is a tan- this is a tangent, but like drip is also uh, tattooed on your arm. <laughs> yeah, an image of the original logo, right? That doesn't look like a logo. It doesn't look like a logo. It's just a water droplet. And there was a very deliberate reason that I did that, and it's because, as you said, I mean, it was five and a half years of my life. It is the long, aside from. I guess this podcast in microconf, it is the thing in my professional life that I've worked on the longest. It was the biggest part of my, has been the biggest part of my career so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good to remember it. It is like in memoriam, even though it still exists, right? I mean, I can drive to the drip offices. They're like 15 minutes that way. And I still keep in touch with, well, I guess only maybe a couple people who work there now, but, and I still use the tool every day. I'm in it, but definitely don't have the connection I used to. One of the things that I was invited to do during the pandemic was to help a founder think through how to hold a, a funeral for, her, for his company. So the company didn't make it through the pandemic and so they needed to close down. And we talked a lot about what ritual, what symbol helps people be able to grieve, you know, sort of process like, man, this company is not going to make it. And so you think about a memorial service and, you know, there's someone who facilitates it. They share memories, they share pictures, and often there's a time for people to exchange memories. And so different employees were then invited to talk through the things that they learned and the things that they will remember about being part of that company. And then everybody, you know, went away with like a mug of the logo of the company on it. And and I think it was a Zoom meeting, right? But it was the symbolism of like, this is ending and we need a way to say goodbye and to acknowledge that a company is kind of like a person in a lot of ways, right? We have a relationship with a company. So um, I I think there's a lot of creative ways to think about grief um, in the entrepreneurial space that, that help us honor the feelings that we do have about these entities that we call companies. Yeah. And I like that you're talking about an exit as perhaps uh, an element of grief, because normally you think of an exit as a big celebration, right? Because you have a liquidity event and I don't know, there's just a lot of emotion and struggle around it. But I do think in the end, most of us consider, oh my gosh, I just sold my company for millions of dollars. That's a celebration. And, And to not also acknowledge the loss of that is a mistake. Well, it's both, right? And that's, I think, this 
category of emotional nuance that I'd love to bring into our conversations within businesses a little bit more, right? It can be a fantastic celebration, like good on you. You sold your company. Amazing. But also, or but and, there's some other loss that goes along with a great thing. This dovetails nicely into another topic I want to talk about with you because you and I have a lot of conversations around founders and entrepreneurship and, and thought processes in your business as an entrepreneur in my business and then, you know, in a lot of, of folks that, that I think we speak with through the podcast and whatever, through Tiny Seed and, and all that. And something that I've been having a lot of conversations about, and it seems to be accelerating, to be honest, is around selling your company, is around having an exit and deciding when to sell. And this started happening organically, and then I made an announcement on this podcast, like, this is such a life-changing thing to think through. If you're going to sell your company, ping me, and I will do a 30-minute chat with you. And I just made kind of an open offer. And sure enough, people took me up on it. And it, it was fantastic to like hear from founders deciding, hey, I'm gonna, I got an offer for a million dollars for this thing. And someone says, I got an offer for $10 million for this thing. And I don't think it's worth that. You know, what are my downsides? Should I do this? And fascinating conversations. And one thing that, that I have told several of these founders is just because you got an offer, is not a, it's not a good reason to sell your company. It almost feels like some folks, hey, since someone's courting me, I should sell. And usually I've told them, that's not a good reason, but here are some good reasons to sell. You've gotten a huge offer that is maybe perhaps above market or above where it should be. And you just, you know, maybe years till you get an offer that big again. And this is a good fit for you to sell. Like that, in my opinion, is a good reason to sell. Another one is if you feel like there's some calamity that perhaps you could ride this business over the top, that it could plateau. So maybe you have platform risk and you're built, you know, you're reliant on scraping Amazon or scraping Google. And every day you wake up and you think, man, they're going to shut me down. Or if you think this whole industry is, is going to plateau or my app is going to plateau or whatever. There, there's things mentally I think that, you know, you can get around there. And then one of the other things I've told folks is, or if you're just done with it, you know, like if you're mentally done, you're exhausted with it and, you know, maybe you're burned out, but maybe you're just like, I'm so over this thing and I don't want to work on it anymore. And I had said that in conversation with you and we were going back and forth and you said, I don't necessarily agree with that third one because I think that's fixable. And I, I really like that perspective, right? Because I don't like being backed into a corner and, and having to sell because burnout is, is, is almost like, I just need to sell because I, I can't handle this thing. But like, walk me through your thought process there. Like, how do you think about those reasons that I've, I've said? Because I come at it from the founder perspective and now an investor advisor perspective. You come to it from, you know, coach, a consultant and a psychologist perspective. Yeah, I, I think we want to be careful about making really big decisions when we're tired, grumpy, burnt out, dealing with some depression, because those are, those are temporary states. I know burnout can feel absolutely overwhelming and I in no way mean to minimize its power, but it's because it is such a powerful distortion really of our typical neurological capacity in that Burnout literally makes our brains less flexible and less fluid. It's not the best state of mind in which to make a really significant decision. So if burnout is the driver, if uh, I'm just done with this, I think it's at least worth exploring some other options. If you're done, you're done. That's, you know, you can sell your company whatever you want. But <laughs> if it really is this sense of like, I don't have the energy for this anymore, I think it's probably worth taking a sabbatical. I think it's worth, you know, bringing in a CEO or someone else to run the company. 
even on a short-term basis. I think there are some other options that are at least worth exploring so that you can clear your head enough to have that long-term perspective of what do I really want? Yeah, it's perspective, I think, is the, the way to think about it. When you're too close to something, or as you said, you're upset, you're in your own head, it's such a bad time to make a permanent decision. Because there are a lot of decisions we make day to day, and 98% of them you can reverse. Selling your company is not one of them. You have to be sure about this. And you've, you've talked with people through burnout and helped them work through it. I was talking to someone who's like, I think I'm burned out. I need to take a week or two off. And I was like, uh, I think it's longer than that. And so when you detect someone is burned out or whether they're telling you that or you see the signs, what's your go-to plan to get someone back in, the, in a state of mind that isn't just exhausted? One thing that's tricky about the terminology here is it's not binary. Like you're not sort of in a category of burnout or not, <laughs> that burnout exists on a continuum. And so one of the things that I'm always assessing when I'm talking with someone is how burnt out are they? And when we talk about burnout, like from a clinical perspective, from a technical perspective, there are three kind of clusters of, of symptoms or three components that we look at. And one is physical and emotional exhaustion. That's probably the thing that feels most obvious to us. Like, oh, I'm just tired. I don't have no energy for this. The second is a sense of cynicism and detachment. So we just don't care the way that we used to. There's something sort of hardened in our heart or in our mind toward our company or toward the people that we work with. And the last component is a sense of no longer seeing your own effectiveness. So really can be very distorted, can be totally contrary to any objective evidence. This sense that like, I'm working so hard and accomplishing nothing. It's not moving anything forward. None of this matters. So the three of those together is obviously a really, really crappy way to feel. Like you're working really hard. You don't have any energy. It feels like it's for nothing and you don't like anybody anyway. Not a place anybody wants to linger for a long time. But one of the things that does happen is in burnout, we do see neurological changes in the brain. We can see it on a brain scan. We see certain parts of the brain being more active, certain parts of the brain. We see less neurons fewer neuron attachments, neuronal attachments. And so we start to see changes in the brain that can become this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy or a cycle that keeps us in burnout. So when we're talking about true burnout, I mean, somebody who's really quite fried, we have to take a long enough break to let the cells in the brain rebuild. And that's why, um, you know, often you are talking about probably a six-week break, which is, nobody loves to hear that, but it is on a biological level kind of what we're looking for when we are hoping to see those brain areas rebuild the circuitry that is necessary for us to be creative and engaged in problem solving and have energy and patience and perspective. Yeah, six weeks is a long time. It's a really long time and it's really hard for founders. And so, you know, a lot of what I do is try to figure out how to make that work, but then also try to do a staged approach where maybe it's a two-week vacation and then we see how someone is, right? Did you really rest? Were you able to really detach from your business? Okay, is it okay to go back maybe in some limited capacity? There are ways to get creative with it. And obviously people figure it out. People do recover from burnout. But I think the thing that is required is for people to take it seriously and understand that it's not just a feeling. Like it does exist in your brain, the organ of your brain. 
So all that to say, like, if you're talking about making a huge decision, like, I don't know, like you don't choose to go home with when you're super drunk, like you just like your brain needs to be healthy to make good choices. And so your brain on burnout is not a super healthy brain, which is why we need to get back to a healthy brain before I think before you really want to make a choice about selling your company or not. And sometimes the the numbers just work out and yeah, you're burnt out and you got a great offer and cool, do that. But if burnout is the primary driver of a sale, I think it's really worth some reflection first. Yeah. Easy to make a bad choice in that mindset. So to wrap us up for today, I want to dig into one other topic that you had brought up that I thought was interesting and pertinent for this time of year. But you talked about changing up your work schedule for summer, potentially working, I guess, shorter days, spending more time with family, picking up a hobby. Like what kind of stuff do you think about? We have two kids. Our kids are on break for the next 10 weeks, right? And they have some camps and then they have weeks with no camps. And then you and I and the kids are going away for two weeks over the next couple of months. I mean, we have stuff planned, but how do you imagine how our summer will be different and how do you think founders and folks who maybe have some control of their schedule can and should look at the next few months of summer? Yeah, I think there are two components to this conversation. One is this sense in which our time with our families is really precious. And I know um, it's really easy to say that, but to really think about how to put that in action, to recognize that you have only 18 summers with your children when they're at home with you. Uh, My friends, Jim and Jamie Shields wrote a book called 18 Summers in which they kind of outline this case for really diving into that summer season, especially if your kids are in a traditional school schedule, to let it be this time of really connecting, making memories, building traditions, like all of the really fun, juicy parts of being in a family. And obviously as entrepreneurs, most of us are really busy and our businesses don't stop just because school's out, but there are some creative ways to redo the schedule or plan those trips, plan those, you know, movie marathons, even the things that become family lore and shared family experience. And so I think summer is a really good time to just take more pauses and as as families, as people in any kind of relationships to really um, enjoy the ability to be together in a different way and to prioritize that in your business and, and even for the people that work for you to make that more possible for them. So that's one of the reasons, sort of the relational reason that I think summer is a really good time to really consider changing up the schedule as a founder. The second reason is because we have a lot of wonderful research around how healthy and good it is for brains to have diverse exposure and diverse experiences. So like you and I, we spent the pandemic in front of our computers and our home offices, kind of not leaving the house, not even leaving the room that we're in very often. And now that that is easing and now that, you know, the weather in Minnesota is lovely, what a treat for our brains to have them be exposed to a variety of different settings and activities. And so this is a great time to jump on a hobby, to learn something new, to go on a canoe trip, to just do something different with your body and your attention to solve different kinds of problems, to be in different kinds of spaces. And I 
won't go into a deep dive lecture on this, but there is so much evidence that that is incredibly helpful to your business because again, a brain that's exposed to a diverse variety of stimuli is healthier, has richer connections and is better able to solve problems and be creative and do all of the wonderful things that help us to be great entrepreneurs. So your brain wants a little vacation time, a little hobby time, a little fun. Yeah. And as entrepreneurs, it's funny, a lot of us have the ability to make things happen and the motivation to go out and do things really well with our business. And what I found for myself, and I think some other founders is I really don't have a lot of motivation or get up and go to go out and do a kayaking trip or to drive an hour each way to a water park on a Friday. And yet when I'm forced to do those things or invited to as, as I usually am, I really enjoy them. And once I'm out there on the canoe or once I am at the water park, I think to myself, this is so cool, this different environment and this, these three hours off of work that I would otherwise be sitting at that same desk are really rejuvenating. And I think that's the key is to, to be able to take that break and take that first step and force yourself out the door. And whether you have a family member who is able and willing to do that or whether you have to you know, essentially through sheer force of will or discipline or whatever it is, get yourself out the door to go do those things. It's important. It's also why most of us do this, right? We have chosen a path that allows for a lot of freedom. And theoretically, if it's going well, a lot of freedom. And many folks don't enjoy it, don't exercise that freedom. I mean, nothing makes me want to sort of reach through the computer screen and whack someone gently on the head than them having a conversation about they feel too busy to go out and ride their bike in the middle of the day. And it's like, you don't have the bus. You don't have to check in, check out. You can schedule your meetings around a one hour bike ride once a week. Like make your life work the way that you want it to. And, uh, you know, I think that should probably include a lot more play than most of us give ourselves time and space for. And I will also make that case that it's good for your business. Dr. Walling, thanks so much for joining me on the show once again. I want to have you back here when your book is ready and we can do a deep dive into that. If folks want to hear you talk about the mental side of entrepreneurship and how to how to stay mentally healthy while doing these hard things, they can check out the Zen Founder podcast as well as sherrywalling.com. And thank you for joining me on the show this week. As always, it's been a pleasure talking to you. It was great to have Sherry on. It really has been too long. Like we live in the same house. I don't know if, if I didn't do that in the intro, but I, I'm figuring since uh, you know, our last names are the same that you picked up on that. But I really enjoyed our conversation today. I hope you did as well. I will see you on Twitter. We are at Startups Pod. Come follow us there. And I'm at Rob Walling. And if you want to follow Sherry, she's at Zen Founder. Thanks so much for joining me again this week. And I'll be back in your earbuds again next Tuesday morning.